We did almost just die, though. We actually did almost die. Yeah. Oh, thank God. That actually makes me feel better. It means I didn't overreact. Oh, God, no, you completely overreacted. <laughs> yeah, maybe. to the Mad Max Minute. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are watching 2019's Long Shot, directed by Jonathan Levine, written by Dan Sterling and Liz Hanna. It stars Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen, and June Diane Raphael. I think this movie was a choice of mine. It was. Because I'm in a bit of a political drama phase, a la West Wing. And Madam Secretary. And this is like a comedic spin on all of that. Okay, you're constantly in a phase of watching West Wing. Like, that is your default state. It is. It is. But, you know, I take breaks sometimes. I watched The Witcher. But this was also your choice because you wanted to watch something with Charlize Theron in it that wasn't, like, Atomic Blonde, where it was just more action. Yeah. I wanted to see her do something different. Which, I mean... For her, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't, like, out of left field different. She does have excellent range, but I wanted something very different than Furiosa. And watching the trailer for this, it is definitely different from Furiosa. I'm excited. We just watched the trailer, and I laughed. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this movie. This is the first movie that we've watched in this round of hiatus content where... The trailer did elicit a laugh from me. It's entertaining in a comedic way, and I am so okay with that. The inclusion of Seth Rogen. I think he's funny, but generally speaking, he's not my type of comedian. I don't particularly enjoy his movies in general. Mm -hmm. But I think the inclusion of someone of such high class as Charlize Theron and June Diane Raphael, both of them brings this Seth Rogen comedy just a couple notches more towards my type of comedy. I think it's a great balance. We'll see how it actually pans out, but from the trailer, it looks like a great balance. The short summary from IMDb says, Journalist Fred Flarsky reunites with his childhood crush Charlotte Field, now one of the most influential women in the world. As she prepares to make a run for presidency, Charlotte hires Fred as her speechwriter and sparks fly which I think they did a good job of conveying in the trailer. That's exactly what happens in the trailer. I don't think this is going to be a particularly complex movie. It's not like Legend where, you know, we're wondering if one of them is going to be a legend and one of them isn't. And, you know, there's complex things going on. It's not that movie. I think it's relatively simple. Now, one of the characters in the trailer, which everyone's going to hear, I'm going to play the trailer like I usually do, but there was one character in the trailer that said that it's like Pretty Woman, except Charlize Theron is Richard Gere and Seth Rogen is Julia Roberts. Now, I, grand admission here, have never seen Pretty Woman. I'm okay with that admission. Okay, have you seen it? Of course I have. Okay. Several, many, many times. Do you get that impression based on the trailer that we watched from your experience watching Pretty Woman, I mean? Um, I suppose so. As with any comparison, it's not beat for beat. It's not a perfect comparison. Obviously. But there is a decent amount of things that are similar between the two. 
So I'm willing to concede the point. Now, wasn't Pretty Woman just a retread of My Fair Lady? Yes. I'm not sure I knew that before you just made that statement. But yes, it was. I mean, I've seen My Fair Lady, so I guess that's how I justified never seeing Pretty Woman. But the whole idea of the high-class person raising the low-class person out of obscurity, I don't get the sense that that's what the story is going to be. Okay, between the three movies, between My Fair Lady to Pretty Woman to Longshot, there are lots of similarities about one posh, beautiful person and one uh, scruffy, less successful person. Scruffy is a good word to use. Yes, coming together in some way. That translates across all three. What doesn't translate is motivation. Right. The motivation in all three of those is different. So the motivation is what makes the story unique. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to watching this because we're so used to, at this point, seeing Charlize Theron as the hardened badass. I think it'll be nice to be able to see her, I guess, cut loose a little bit, be comedic. I'm trying to think what else she has done that is really comedic. Taking a quick look through her IMDb listing, I'm seeing a lot of, oh, she was in A Million Ways to Die in the West. We never saw that movie. I think it was kind of in the running to fill this spot. Mm-hmm. And we chose this movie as opposed to A Million Ways to Die in the West. But that's also, you know, just a purely comic movie. She does a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was in that thing you do. No kidding. Yeah. All right. Anyway. I'm looking forward to seeing her be funny. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is we'll stop here. I'll play the trailer for everybody and then we'll come back and you'll get to hear what we thought about it. Charlotte, I would like to endorse you to be the next president of the United States. Oh my God. You've been a great secretary. Of state. Which state again? All of them. Secretary of State looking at us? I kind of know her. It's like kind of knowing a mermaid. Do you tell people that? She probably doesn't remember who I am. Secretary Field would like to speak with you. With me? I can't shake this feeling that we know each other. We do. We do? Picture me, I guess, maybe like 20 years younger. But like this. Florsky? Yeah! What are you doing these days? I'm a journalist. You're a great writer. But sometimes you're a little too much. I don't think I am too much. I actually think I'm the perfect right portion. It's really nice to see you again. Okay! Crack it down! I'm okay! Do boys and men just call me a cracker? What is the relationship exactly? I used to babysit for him. You babysat for him? Wow, time has not been kind. I need some writers to punch up my speeches. Fred's writing is really good, and he knows me. Oh, I feel so scared. In order to write better for you, I should kind of get to know you better if you have a minute. I actually have seven. Seven minutes in heaven. What is your favorite book as a kid? The Velveteen Rabbit. Favorite song? Must have been Love by Roxette. Most embarrassing moment. I don't embarrass that easily. I don't either, really. What's your favorite sexual position? Normal. Front-facing <laughs> normal. What kind of question That's is that? That's all it took. Look at you. How, what, what's your favorite sexual position? Don't be gross, Frank. Do you like date? I mean, who wants to follow me around the world and hope I have five minutes to be affectionate? Yeah. We did almost just die. We actually did almost die. We need to move you. Thank you, Agent M. It's Pretty Woman, but she's Richard Gere and you're Julia Roberts. Honestly, this has been the best few weeks of my entire life. We asked 
thousand constituents how they would feel if Kate Middleton, I see where you're going with this, were to start dating Danny DeVito. Pretty negative reaction. The last time you got high was at a Sing Doctors concert. We had a situation. Huh? I'm in so much trouble. What's happened? Are they out of water? Wow, he's so bendy, huh? Oh, ouch. And we're back. Julia, what did you think of it? Overall, I liked it. It delivered on its premise. Its premise was, hey, I'm a rom-com. It was a rom-com. It was very funny. There was a couple points where we laughed out loud. Uh Uh-huh. And that's very satisfying. And it was a bit formulaic. But that's okay. I think we kind of knew that going in, that this is a rom-com. It's going to be exactly what you think it is. But it was fun. Honestly, I feel the same way. Like, I had a good time watching it. I enjoyed the hijinks that ensued. A lot of the characters really stood out to me. All that being said, though, I wouldn't necessarily call this movie very memorable. I'm going to agree with you on that point. Two, three days from now, are we really going to remember much from this movie no we're not and again that's okay not every movie needs to be life shattering right especially in this genre of romantic comedy this isn't the stuff that lasts how many of our favorite movies ever are rom-coms i mean they exist for sure Mm -hmm. but eh. (laughs) (laughs) i'm really starting this off with a glowing review huh i really did enjoy it But I agree that I'm probably not going to seek it out again. I mean, honestly, if I could steal something from Jeremy Johns on YouTube, I would rate this somewhere in between a good time, no alcohol required, and a not going to remember it in T minus two days. That's a fair review, and I think you can be both. It was a good time, but that good time doesn't have to last. Yeah, I think the important thing is that it fulfilled the reason why we watched it. Oh, for sure. We got to see Charlize Theron as a non-action movie character. She was delightful. Oh, absolutely. She was very funny. I liked her chemistry with Seth Rogen. I never would have thought of putting them together as a romantic pairing, which is, of course, most of the comedy (laughs) of this movie is that they are a romantic pairing. Most of the conflict in this movie is also centered around that. It's kind of the whole point. Yeah. But they did well together. Charlize Theron, she does well with comedy. She had no problems there, I thought. And Seth Rogen being a romantic lead... I think it's not his forte, but again, that was the point. Right. His forte is comedy. And in the movie, his character's forte is comedy mixed with journalism. And Mm. that's why he's there. That's why he is where he is. I actually really enjoyed Seth Rogen, which actually surprised me. I'm not the kind of person that is an avid Seth Rogen fan. I don't search him out in films. If he shows up, I'm not upset, but he's also not the draw for me. Uh, He's not that type of guy for me, but I was very pleasantly surprised by how his character was portrayed and written. One of the big things I wanted to talk about, and we'll jump right into it, even though it's something towards the end of the movie, I loved how at the end of the movie, and he had his grand epiphany after talking to his best friend Lance, mm-hmm. when he realized that 
when you love someone, there are certain compromises that you make in your life in order to be with that person. And the big idea was that Lance was downplaying his personal politics and personal religious views in order to remain friends with Fred, Seth Rogen's character, who they'd been friends all their lives. And Lance knew that those aspects of his personality would upset Fred, but he loved Fred to the point where he downplayed those things, not in any sort of like damaging way. I don't think Lance ever like felt hurt because he had to hide those things. I think he just didn't play those up. And I think the grand epiphany that Fred had at the end came about very naturally. It didn't feel forced to me. I thought Lance was a very good example of that very, very fine line between compromising your own set of beliefs and your own ethics and your own politics and just getting along and being able to have relationships with the people that you love. And he made it work. He seemed like a very satisfied with his life kind of guy. Mm -hmm. He seemed to have it together and he seemed to be generally happy. So yeah, I don't get the sense that he was at all compromising, just making it work. Because- at the end of the day, the relationship that Lance and Fred had was not based on their own personal politics or their religious viewpoints or anything like that. They had a friendship because they had known each other for so long and their personalities meshed and all of that. And so it didn't get between them. And so when Fred was put in that situation where you have the choice, you can either be with Charlotte, Charlize Theron's character, or lose her forever in the name of public imaging or whatever it was, he came to the realization that, okay, their relationship is not based on his personal style and the way that he portrays himself to the world. And so he's finally said, okay, you know what? I am willing to change the outward facing elements of myself if it means that I can stay true to the person that I am inside. Not that it's a full on the end of Greece where you need to abandon your personality completely in order to fly away in a car. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up the end of Greece because they are similar stories mm -hmm. in some ways. And I really dislike the end of Greece because of how Sandy, she changed her outward appearance in such a way that it felt for me very subservient Almost. I'm not sure that's really the word I'm looking for, but it felt very, I will do anything to be with you, even if that means losing myself. But the way that Fred did it felt more genuine and honestly, it felt more realistic. Maybe because he had a hard time with it. Maybe because he rebelled against that for a little while. And that was like the conflict yeah. of the romantic part of things is that he rebelled to the point where he gave her up because he wasn't willing to compromise any of his beliefs or who he is or any of it. So he came to that realization that he needed to kind of split the difference a bit, I guess. Yeah. He came to that realization on his own, whereas Sandy was just dressed up by some of the other, what were they called, the pink ladies? Yeah. Something I, like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about Greece. We, no, I'm not studied up on it. Definitely not. It felt similar, but I like the way that Fred did it better. Mm. One of the themes throughout the movie is Fred's obstinate sticking to his own morals. Yeah. That's how he gets in the situation in the first place of needing a job is that he was so stuck on his own morals 
that when his small town paper, small town paper, yes, when, his, <laughs> when his independent paper was bought out by a conglomerate, he said no and he quit. He threw a fit. Yes, is he, what did. he did. <laughs> Which I can definitely sympathize with. Yeah. He definitely put the cart before the horse in the way that he had no back, he had no plan. He still has to pay his bills. He still has to work. So he didn't have a plan. That was really what threw a wrench into his quitting. I probably would have quit too. For somebody who prides themselves on their independent status at this paper being bought out but like that, that's a huge deal. So I probably would have quit too. So we have this theme of his no matter what morals. And we see that have consequences throughout the movie with varying results. Well, actually, does he ever really get his way? Because he quit in protest of the conglomerate buying his paper. Well, he just lost his job. There was no victory there. And when he threw a little fit about the C's portion of the initiative being removed, he didn't get his way there either. And then at the end conflict, when he didn't want to change his public image, when he wanted to be able to be who he is, he ended up losing that battle too. So did he ever really have a victory from taking the high ground? He didn't. And I think that's important because at the end of the movie, he was able to sit back and say, wow, yeah, I've just been torpedoing my own chances at success, which is something that Charlotte straight up said to his face. It said, you can't keep making these bad decisions and then blame the world for your failures because you are the one that are making these decisions and refusals to compromise. It's a very it's, strange message and not one is. that you want to tell the kids. It's it a, is. It's almost like a cynical message. It is a bit cynical. It's one of those very realist type messages. Yes, I was going to say that this is more of a message for adults. Yeah. Because we, at some point in growing up, you have to learn that your pie-in-the-sky ideas are probably not going to happen. And you have to find something that still makes you happy that isn't so pie-in-the-sky. You have to, or else you're just going to be miserable your whole life. And that's a rough lesson to learn because some people do get their pie-in-the-sky dream. Some people do get their dream job. I mean, it helps when you know the right people. The whole reason that this movie happens is because... Fred is friends with Lance, and Lance has the hookup to get them into the party where Charlotte is. They had no plan walking into that situation for Fred to run into Charlotte and to get this whole new gig going. Yeah. It was completely by coincidence, which is another one of those lessons that people need to learn as they get older, is that a lot of success is just being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people. I think both of us have had success in our careers by chance. Mm -hmm. I ended up working for the company that I was interned at, and you ended up working for the position that you were work-studied at. Yep. So... When it came time yeah. for hiring, we knew the right people, and we were in the right situation. Yes, we were. <laughs> the exception being when it came to podcasting, in which case we came in knowing absolutely nothing and no one, but we muscled through it anyway. Yes, we did. <laughs> The first thing that I want to bring up that I found particularly amusing was the costume that Maggie gets for Fred at the first <laughs> speech in, was that in Switzerland? Like in Stockholm. Amsterdam. Stockholm, it was Stockholm. Stockholm yeah. It was in Stockholm. It was delightful. When he first came down the stairs in the costume, I thought that it was going to be one person laughing at another person, and that was going to make me feel sad. And I was like, ooh, this, I'm not sure I like this. 
But then as the scene kind of developed a little bit, everybody was laughing. Fred handled it really, really well. Maggie did not try to hide that she did this on purpose. So I really enjoyed that at the end, all four of them were laughing together. That really elevated the humor of the moment. The spit take, the literal spit take that Charlize Theron did. (laughs) She took a big drink of water. Charlotte turns around, sees Fred in that ridiculous Keebler elf costume. All apologies to any Swedish listeners we might have who are, you know, aware of the cultural significance of that costume aside. The fact that she spit out that mouthful of water in a perfect (laughs) mist of spit take was masterful. And I loved it. I would love to see a behind the scenes reel of filming that scene. I like the idea that Charlize Theron hadn't seen the costume before Uh and that that spit take was real. I conjure that image in my head and I find it delightful. Even if it wasn't the case, Charlize Theron is such a good actress that she could just sell it as that being the first time she saw it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's just that good. And speaking of good, June Diane Raphael as Maggie Milliken, which did you catch exactly what Maggie's job was? Was she like the executive assistant to Charlotte Fields? Was she the campaign manager? Like what what did she do? You know, I'm not sure. She did seem to be quite focused on scheduling and image. Yeah, because Ravi Patel as Tom, he was the one that was always listing off the itinerary. So I kind of assumed he was the scheduling guy. Yeah. And that she was more like the image consultant. Okay, so everything I know about the Secretary of State, I learned from Madam Secretary. Good source. I suppose. I'm assuming. I suppose she could be her chief of staff, but... The chief of staff often, at least in Madam Secretary, is often off doing other things because they're busy implementing all the stuff that the Secretary of State wants them to do. But Maggie was by Charlotte's side all the time. Yeah. So I'm thinking that Maggie and Tom together as a team were her assistants, secretary, scheduling, maybe even some PR responsibilities, imaging, stuff like that. That makes sense to me. Almost a handler type. Yeah. I am curious what exactly their job titles are, but I I think those were the functions that they were filling. Yeah. I don't necessarily see June Diane Raphael in a lot of things. My major exposure to her is How Did This Get Made, the podcast. Yes. And it's fun to see her acting. I know she's in TV shows and other movies and things like that. I don't seek them out. I only have so much time in the day. But it was a delight to see her. It was very nice to see her. Yeah. And Paul Shear even got a little uh, cameo thing as one of the Fox and Friends stand-ins. Mm. Yeah. We'll talk more about Fox and Friends later. <laughs> I actually want to keep talking a little bit about Maggie because I feel like that was one of the standout performances in the movie. Just because she was always there in the background in pretty much any scene. I didn't always agree with the things that she was saying because I was invested in this Charlotte Fred story and she kind of represented an antagonist to that storyline. But the more time that she had with that storyline, the more she really came around to it. Not that she was ever fully on board with it, but every time she came in, I really enjoyed seeing her in the scenes and I really enjoyed watching her act. I agree. 
I was a little bit worried about Maggie. I thought she was going to be, like you said, the antagonist to the romantic storyline. And I was worried that she was going to be underhanded about it, Mm -hmm. which feels a little tropey. But she wasn't. She was pretty upfront about how she felt. And hey, this isn't a good idea. There are going to be image issues. And then there was one point at which she bluntly said to Charlotte, Charlotte, I love you and I want you to succeed. And this country will be better if you're president. And I want to help you get there. But you can't do it with Fred. So I really appreciated that honesty. And that indicator of genuine affection for her boss, which I think happens a lot, especially in a job like this with Secretary of State, we see that Charlotte has no personal life. And if Charlotte's working, Maggie's working. So they spend a lot of time together. So I appreciated that glimpse into the more personal side of things. And she never pretended to be anybody's friend and wasn't their friend. It was used to some comedic effects sometimes between her and Fred, which was lovely. It was funny. There was a couple of funny moments about how they don't get along. There was potential, I think, for the storyline to turn into something like Maggie going behind Fred and Charlotte's back to help the political antagonists do their misdeeds for Maggie's own gain. She never did anything like that. Her misbehaving was all personal and relatively upfront. And I'd say relatively harmless. Like, dressing up Fred in that outfit for the Stockholm event? Yeah. That wasn't going to be politically ruinous. Right. Nobody seemed to care. I never got the sense that Maggie would do anything to betray Charlotte. Exactly. And that's the most important thing. Everything that she did was out of loyalty, affection, hope for the future for Charlotte. Mm Mm-hmm. And I also enjoyed the little back and forth that Maggie had with Tom of them having that little bit of antagonistic friction. And then it was revealed later on that they were secretly having an affair together. Yes. That was very amusing. (laughs) But speaking of antagonists, how about that Andy Serkis getting covered in makeup to turn into that Roger Ailes stand-in? Yeah. When we saw Andy Serkis in the credits, we were like, what? Who was that? (laughs) Wait, what? We had to look it up. I had absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. I think the character was used to great effect. I think he was properly revolting. Mm -hmm. I did really appreciate the connections that the movie made with this same media conglomerate antagonist, antagonizing both of them in different ways. I really liked that. He's the guy that bought out Fred's paper. He's also bought out the president. Which trickles down to Charlotte. And even beyond that, he's constantly trying to get Charlotte in a meeting. Mm -hmm. And she is smart enough, of course she is, to know, don't get in a room with him. Don't spend time with him at parties. He's a bad person and you don't want anything to do with him. I never got the sense from watching this movie that Bob Odenkirk as President Chambers was one party or the other. I think they were trying to say that... The current president was a Republican president, which is why he was sort of in bed with Andy Serkis's character, who was Parker Wembley. It's not Ailes, it's Wembley, and it's not the Fox network, it's the Wembley network, yeah. the Wembley media. So they've got all of the names changed around, but we all more or less knew who they were talking about. But I liked how it wasn't a constant, she's running as this, he's run as that. Like The only time they really brought up Republicans and Democrats was in a conversation between Lance and Fred. 
I did like that, that they kind of left the partisan politics out of it. Yes. There was plenty of politics to speak of, but it was more or less rather neutral or at least unlabeled, Mm -hmm. except for Lance. It was very clear with that Lance conversation made it very clear that Lance is a Republican, Fred is a Democrat. But other than that, you really don't know. There's a lot that the movie doesn't say. And in not saying it, it's saying it. Now, going back to June Diane Raphael real quick. She wrote a book along with Kate Black called Represent, colon, The Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World. And I like that she has that. And then she's also in this movie, which portrays a woman becoming president for the first time. Spoiler alert. (laughs) That feeds right into my thoughts about this movie and its messaging regarding women. Okay. It was surprisingly a huge part of the movie. Yes, it's classified as a rom-com, and it for sure is, but it has a lot of social commentary going on inside of it as well. Mm -hmm. It really drove home points about how the political process and the public figure process is very different for women. I do think that it hammered at home just a little bit too hard, but... I think I get to say that because I've never been a victim of it. Mm. I think if you've been a victim of those types of things, then you would probably say, no, 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 that feels pretty accurate. I've been fortunate that I, frankly, I work in a female dominated field. So these things just don't really happen to me that much. But it pointed out a lot. Other people pointing out to Charlotte and Charlotte pointing out for herself that she has to try harder, that she is judged in different ways, in different unfair ways. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. The scene with Lisa Kudrow as the pollster was, ew, it was so gross. Pointing out, she had scores in charisma. You know what? I Honestly, I can't remember what they were, but they were not the same as it would be for a man. Yeah. Charlotte straight up said, well, what about my policies? What sort of platforms can I stand on? And... <laughs> Lisa Kudrow, her character straight up said, oh, we don't worry about platform. Yeah. It's all about these personality traits. Those are what we need to focus on. And for the most part, Charlotte's numbers were really good. They were all in the low 90s. I don't know what that means, but they were all really good numbers. They didn't give us enough information to know what those numbers meant. No, not at all. I really have no idea. But I don't know. 90s sounds good. Yeah. But when... Charlotte was talking to Fred on the plane. She's like, okay, I can't appear to be angry because then I'm too emotional. I can't be too this because I'll be then too that. You know, there are so many labels that could get thrown onto her and she has to walk a very narrow line in order to preserve the image that she's cultivated over the years of her career. And we see what that leaves her with. We see that she sleeps Standing up with her eyes open. Micronaps. Micronaps, because she doesn't have time to actually sleep. She falls asleep on her bathroom floor, trying to take a bath. Thank goodness she never made it into the bath. She doesn't actually get to consume media. She reads synopses Mm -hmm. so that she can converse with people. Her life is dry and boring, and it's not a life. And I know that for... People in the upper echelons of business and politics, that is a very busy lifestyle. This is no nine to five. This is your whole life. But that being said, I still want Donald Trump to have a life. I still want him to have hobbies. I still want him to have things that he enjoys because being able to do those things is only going to make him a better president, you know? 
there's a balance to be found. We're going to leave it there. But everybody deserves to have downtime. Everybody deserves to have a personal life. And it only makes you better at your job to have those things. And she has none of it. She has none of it. And we see throughout the movie that as she gets those things, as she learns to relax a little bit from her relationship with Fred, she is still fully capable of doing her job. I like that you brought that up because there is a point in this movie where Charlotte is dealt a pretty big blow and she is literally lying on the floor and she's like, Fred, I want to I want to do drugs. I want to cut loose. And they go on a bit of a bender in the middle of Paris. And in the middle of that bender, she's called into a situation room. Yeah. Okay. The whole Paris night out thing was fantastic. I thought Charlize is acting in the club when she gets pulled out by Agent M. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. It was hilarious. She was so good. But a particularly favorite scene of mine was when she's actually in the secure room and actually on the phone with the guy. And she can't do it the way the general thinks she should do it. She's stuck. She doesn't know where to go from there. And she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so she separates herself and... She does it her own way, which is really screwy right now because she's pretty high, but she still gets the job done. Yeah. And that drives home the point of how freaking capable she is. Yeah. She, she talks can do him it down. High. She makes a deal. She is so freaking capable of doing what she does that she can do it with uh, how how long did Fred said they had? Four left or five on hours. High. Yeah. <laughs> she was she had just re-upped her dose and she was gonna be high for the next four or five hours. And she was still able to talk down some Middle Eastern leader who had an American pilot held hostage. And she was able to get that done. In the West Wing, that never would have been left up to the Secretary of State. The president would have done that himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think Bob Odenkirk as President Chambers could have handled that. No. I thought it was pretty interesting that the president in this movie was a guy who had played president on television. I think that's a very specific reference to President Zelensky of the Ukraine Mm -hmm. because he played the president of Ukraine on TV and then he ran for president and won. Huh. So I did just look him up real quick on Wiki. He was a lawyer before he was an actor. Okay. So it's not like this was completely out of the blue. He is an educated person. He does have credentials of a sense more than playing the president of of Ukraine. Okay. Because I felt it was more of a call out to someone who had worked on television running for and obtaining the presidency as maybe not a direct nod to Donald Trump, but more of a thing surrounding. I know a lot of people, myself probably included, were like, well, if we're just going to start hiring people off of television, we might as well just elect Martin Sheen because he played the president on West Wing for so long and that show went fine because that's kind of the sense that I got with that President Chambers character, that he had been on a West Wing type show and then just got the job for real. Yeah, that's exactly what Zelensky did. And I didn't know that. (laughs) I learned something today. It was kind of in the back of my head and I just boned up on it a little bit. Now, I know that Zelensky didn't come into the forefront of American minds until the summer of 2019. And this movie came out in the spring of 2019. And he was elected president. Oh, he was inaugurated 
the same month as this movie came out. Okay, so May yeah. of 2019. Long Shot came out May 3rd. Yep. And it was inaugurated later in the month. So I guess I'm probably reading more into it than it is because Zelensky is such a big part of American politics now, but at the time he wasn't. But when he was elected, I remember it. I, I remember this all going down. Well, speaking of international politics, nice. a bulk of, I'd say, the second act of this movie, because first act, you're introducing the characters, you're getting them to meet up. And then the second act is where Fred and Charlotte are getting to know each other better as they're flying around the world to all of these different nations, because Charlotte wants to put a big environmental thing together. It starts off as trees, bees, and seas. They uh, have to drop the seas because India won't get into it unless the seas are taken out. And then there's a conflict with Wembley later on where they have to axe the trees. The important thing is that as they're going around, Charlotte is giving all these important speeches and Fred is writing for her in order to make her more marketable to the American people. And in order for him to write more effectively for her, they're really getting to know each other in what feels like a really organic way, even though they're just going through a checklist of different fun facts about each other. I agree that it was nice and organic. It did feel really good. Fred comes to talk to her in her office, talks about, you know, to be a better speechwriter, I need to get to know you. I need to be able to write in your voice. Mm -hmm. So we're going to work on that stuff. So that as a framework for the montage that ensues did feel really good. It started us on the arc, on Charlotte's arc, of her loosening up and finding joy in things and Marie condoing her life. It reminds me of this podcast that I listened to when we were driving home from Virginia one Christmas. And I listened to the whole thing. It was kind of miniseries style. It was like six episodes or something like that. Okay. And it was called, I can't, I don't remember if this is exactly what it was called, but this was the premise. It was 36 questions on how to fall in love. Like if you answer these 36 questions, it can make like anybody fall in love. Okay. So they built a dramatic story around these 36 questions and it was happy and sad and heartbreaking and all that kind of stuff. And it was a musical, by the way. Okay. Anywho. So it reminds me of this idea of these 36 questions where they're really just like sharing with each other. They're really basic questions like favorite this and least favorite that and a bad memory and the, you know, the thing you love most about your mother and things like that. Really Which basic stuff. is what we were hearing in this movie. Exactly. But throughout telling the stories and sharing with a partner, it brings the relationship to a deeper level. Uh-huh. And that's the idea. So that's exactly what we saw, is that through basic questions that well, you have to think about the answers, and it's not just surface level stuff, you have to go a little bit deeper, it brought them together and they formed that connection. And I liked how non-physical it was. It wasn't that they were all over each other from the start. It's that they built up this mutual respect for each other. Through Fred displaying his ability to write and Charlotte getting to know him as an adult and vice versa, because they have to relearn who each other are because they knew each other as children. She was his babysitter. And there's this whole flashback thing. But I like how they let it breathe a lot before we transition from that second act, getting to know you into the third act sparks fly situation. Okay, so... The transition between the emotional bonding and the physical aspect of it was hilarious. Oh my gosh. 
If you're going to put a sex scene in a movie, watch this one. It's a great example of making it funny, but not embarrassing. Nobody was embarrassed. It was funny, but not embarrassing. My gosh. The way that they started that scene of them in Lisbon and they're in the hotel room and he's like, oh, man, you'd never know there was a civil war. And then all hell breaks loose. And they have to run to the safe room. Everything's blowing up. They're carrying people. Like Charlize Theron has a guy over her shoulders that yeah. she's carrying to safety. And Seth Rogen is like dragging this lady by her leg. <laughs> and then they get locked in the safe room and they have that kissing moment. They get interrupted by the Secret Service agent. So yeah, as soon as they get to the safe house, it's on for like three seconds. It was great. <laughs> and they would both agree with me. They were both perfectly satisfied. Mm. <laughs> By the way, the podcast I was referencing, it's just called 36 Questions. Okay. After all of the sparks flew, after all was said and done, the next morning when Fred walked out to the ocean, he was standing in the waves barefoot. Oh, my god. And then he turns around and the Secret Service agent is there also standing in the sand barefoot. And he's like, don't worry, I won't tell anyone because they won't believe me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was great. Agent M. Yep. He was great. Okay, I do have a little bit of a thing about Agent M. So that moment on the beach when M was like, yeah, don't worry, I I won't tell anybody. And also, like, it's a part of the credo of his job. As a Secret Service agent, you know lots of things. Mm -hmm. You see lots and lots of things. And you don't tell people because it's part of the job. Well, then in the car, like, later that same day, I can't remember if it was Maggie or Tom suspect and kind of give M a look and M totally confirms it with another look. Like he immediately told. Yeah, but other than that he was very cool. There was no confirmation of that until Maggie tricked Fred into confirming it. Yes, that is true. <laughs> is it worth mentioning the Prime Minister of Canada? Yeah, go for it. We can just insert him whenever we want to. It's I our mean, podcast. I, I didn't have anything to say about him. I was just asking if it was worth bringing him up oh. because I don't feel that it is. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, then no. We're fine then. Okay, cool. What was your favorite thing about this movie? Oh, my favorite thing about this movie was the music. There were a lot of songs. Yes, it was fantastic. And my favorite part about the music was Boys to Men. They sounded better in this movie than they ever did. Being, I don't know what, like 25, 30 years older, they sounded phenomenal. It makes sense that when you've got a group like Boys to Men, they're going from boys to men, men. and they would sound better as men. Yes. Like, you don't go listen to Boys to Men for the boys part. You listen for the men part, right? Yes. I'm assuming. I don't know. I I didn't actually listen to Boys to Men. Oh, it's a shame. We did have the question as soon as they came on stage, weren't there four of them? And I had this like vague memory of something happening to the fourth one. So the fourth one, Michael McCary has MS. Oh. He was diagnosed with MS at the age of 22. So he doesn't do boys to men stuff anymore. Gotcha. All right. Sorry, that was kind of a downer. My favorite part of this movie. Yeah. Was Charlotte in general. The way that. She is dedicated to her job. She is good at her job. She is capable. She has all of these coping mechanisms to deal with stress, like her micro naps and her breathing exercises. And she's just always killing it day in, day out. Even when she lets loose, she still has those abilities locked away that she can call forth. And she's just like the perfect secretary of state character. I don't know if her being 
so perfect is a detriment to this movie, but no, she's just amazing. And it's easy to see why everybody rallies around her at the end because she's just so capable in every situation. And she's not a robot. Like, she has personality. I would point to the spit take that I mentioned earlier. I think it could be easy for people to see her as a Mary Sue, but the point of the movie is to show us that she's not. She's not a Mary Sue. The things that she's good at, it's because she works at them. She's not just a character written to be good at everything. She's good at them because she works at them. She practices them. She works really, really hard. And we also see that while she is extremely good at her job, she's not perfect and her life isn't perfect. There's room for improvement. And that's why Fred is there and he improves things. I think my favorite Charlotte moment was when Maggie and Tom built a wall around her so that she could eat skewered food. She proceeds to eat the skewered food very bizarrely. So she's got like, we'll say like a pencil. She eats it tall way like this instead of taking it horizontally and eating it like a corn on the cob Mm -hmm. and that was excellent i mean there are little things that they built into charlotte to make sure that you knew that she wasn't absolutely perfect like her (laughs) inability to wave the elbow (laughs) that was great can't remember the verbiage that they used they were like people find it disconcerting or something unsettling unsettling the amount of Elbow. elbow that was really great and maybe she's better for her foibles because nobody likes people who are perfect, perfect. Yeah. Charlize Theron cannot sing. She can act. She can dance. She can do action. She can fight. But she cannot sing to save her life. So those small things make attractive people even more attractive. And Charlotte is an attractive person. And yes, I mean physically, but also as a person, makes her into someone that people want to vote for Mm -hmm. and that people want to rally around. Yeah. Plus, one of her campaign posters was Come On Field (laughs) Denoise. That's pretty bad. Like, that's pretty awesome. You say bad, I say amazing. Because it's a reference, it's a pun, it's everything that I love all rolled into one. Okay, so we did favorite stuff. Let's do least favorite stuff. Oh my gosh, I cannot stand how they got to the end of the movie and then in the blink of an eye, suddenly she's announced her presidency, they get to the end of the movie, then boom, suddenly she's president. I expected a little bit more of a drawn out situation over the course of the end credits. They did a thing where it goes straight from cut to black to suddenly she's their honor inauguration day and they do this whole thing like oh hey it's me i'm fred first mister whatever i would have liked to see instead some campaign trail stuff i agree i think it could have been a fun sequence like montage style like behind the credits of campaign trail maybe a quick little election night tension and then the swearing in moment mm-hmm I agree. It was jarring to go from announcement straight to swearing in. Now, I did like Fred's post-credit sequence thing that he got to do, his little tour of the White House. I thought it was really funny, and I appreciated seeing him, for one, okay with the role. It's an unprecedented role being the first mister. In real life, when we get there... It's going to be weird. You know, as long as the first real life 
first mister doesn't have his portrait done by Todd McFarlane. <laughs> like that was a very Seth Rogen. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> it certainly was. Yeah. I was hoping for a Lady Bird Johnson joke because he made the reference earlier that he would rather be her Lady Bird Johnson, but he would be okay with being her Marilyn. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping for a little bit of a callback reference when he showed the portrait of Lady Bird. So, you know, I was a little disappointed there, but it was a funny sequence, but I would have been willing to sacrifice it for a campaign trail sequence yeah, instead. I did appreciate when they were sitting down doing the interview thing and he's like, oh man, it was really great to learn who actually killed Kennedy. And Charlotte's like, don't, 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 don't. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very Seth Rogeny feel to it. What did you not like about this movie? Okay, it's time to talk more about the Fox News stand-in. Okay. What was it called again? Wembley. Wembley. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad, and it was supposed to be bad, so it fulfilled its purpose of being bad, but it was everything that enrages women and then uses against women, especially like the period thing at the very end. So stuff that Fox News has actually done. Yes, and it's even more annoying and enraging because this is real life. (laughs) It gets under my skin ridiculously fast when people say things like, oh, she must be on her period. And then when the female panelists finally got fed up with it and walked off, it was because she had her period. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. It's so bad. And the worst part is, is that if I get upset about it, then- They would fire back at you with that same- With the same thing. And that would just make me madder. And it's a vicious circle that there's no way out of. And everything that- I and women do in general to defend ourselves against those types of accusations just prove men's points. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous and absolutely enraging. And those bits in the movie did exactly what they were supposed to do. Yeah. (laughs) There was one sequence that featured the Wembley Fox and Friends stand in where you had three different news networks that were all talking about actual news. Then the Wembley news pops up and it's talking about something that is not related to the political topic that the other three were talking about it, but it's something very pointed and focused on gender. Yes, it was. Something that is literally textbook sexist. Which is definitely a commentary slash parody level. I think this particular parody gives the other networks too much credit, to be honest, because Fox isn't the only network that does this. I do not have specific examples. It's just they're not the only sexist commentators. They're not the only sexist network out there. They're just the most blatant. They're the most blatant. Yes. Everybody is doing it to varying levels and okayness. So I think they gave the other networks too much credit. (laughs) I guess at the end of the day, what are your final thoughts or recommendations for this movie? So my overall is that I'm proud of the movie for not being just a rom-com. It definitely hit those notes, but it had more to say. And not just in one way. It had a lot of things to say. It actually had a lot of things to say about a lot of different areas. And I appreciate that they took screen time to make those points. So... I would definitely recommend people to watch it. If you want just a funny rom-com, it'll fill that for you. It'll do that. If you want something more, it can do that too. But I stand by the point that we made in the beginning that 
I don't think it's going to stick with you for too, too long. I have to agree with you. This movie had a lot of good laughs. It had a lot of great performances. If you like the people that are in the starring roles, if you're a Charlize fan, if you're a Seth fan, if you love Day and Raphael and all those other people, like it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good watch. I'm not saying that this is Citizen Kane because it's not. <laughs> there are some good points that this movie makes, but yeah, I don't consider it something that's going to stick with me long term. I had an enjoyable time watching it and it's got a lot of good stuff in it. I'll say that much. And I'm certainly not sorry that we spent the time watching it. Exactly. It is a solid two hour long movie. IMDb says two hours, five minutes. That's a long movie. This is not a little feature length one and done in an hour and a half. You know, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. It did not feel like a two hour, five minute movie. I see. It did go pretty quick. Yeah. There are other two hour movies that we've watched that <laughs> definitely felt a lot longer. But no, this one definitely worth checking out. And I don't know what else I can really say about it. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Longshot is presented by AG Studios, Denver and Delilah Productions, and Point Grey Pictures in association with Good Universe. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for the Mad Max Minute. See you next time.